This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. Happy New Year. I'm, uh, you know, I kind of feel like high school. Uh, this, this podium, I, had a, I played quarterback in high school. I went to a really small school, and my center was 6'6", 300 pounds. He was huge. And I, this is how I looked. <laughs> and this is how, that's how I feel up here. So it kind of protects me a little bit. Um, but I, I'm personally excited about this new year. This last year has been a particularly difficult year for me. Uh, we've gone through a lot of hardships, and this has kind of been the year for me, this last year, my 30th year, that God has decided to, to take me deeper into some of the issues from my past. And, you know, I kind of describe it as a res- like a recipe, kind of. You know, God decided that, you know, there's going to be some past issues I'm going to throw in. I'm going to throw in your job at City Church and a lot of seminary here and this and that and the other. And then he just started stirring this massive pot, just around and around and kicking up all this stuff from my life. And I was like, wow, what do I do? Where do I turn? Where do I turn my eyes here? I, I, it, was just a, it was a tough year. And, you know, as I, as I look at the scripture, it, it seems that I'm in good company. As I look at the lives of many of you that I know, I'm in good company. Life is particularly hard. And, and the new year is a time to look back and go, you know, this was a difficult year. And where, where do I turn now? How do I start over? Where do, where, how does the path go forward? And that's, that's today where we're going in our text. Because the context of our text, even though we're starting at Hebrews 12, the book of Hebrews is a beautiful book. It is it's eloquently written, and it's absolutely beautiful. And, and who this man is writing to, whoever he is, is he's writing to some Hebrews who, who became Christians, and they're living in their Jewish context, and they're struggling. The, the, the Jews around them, they're mad at them because they've given up this old faith for, this, for something new in Christ, and they're being persecuted. They're, they're going through a hard time, and they need encouragement. They're right at the brink. Well, some of them have given up, and others are thinking about it, and they're at the brink of just losing their faith. And, and this letter is written to them to encourage them forward, to encourage them and say, this is the road forward. Here is your encouragement. Here is where you look. And that's where, that's where we find it today. And so in our passage, he gives us three ways to encourage us not to give up hope, but to face the trials and the hardships of life with continued faithfulness and power. So let's pray. God, thank you that you you sat down, that you finished the work and sat down, and you have given victory to us so that we can run the race, the hard race of life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us today, that you would help us see ourselves here, help us see our struggles, and know that we're in good company, and then fix our eyes on you, our great author and perfecter. Would you lead us, Holy Spirit? pray in your name. Amen. 
Our three ways this morning that he gives us is to one, consider the context, two, focus on the finish, and three, commit to the process. First, consider the context. Chapter 12 begins with therefore. Therefore, and what you know connects what he's about to say to what he has already said. So therefore, and in chapter 11, you know of Hebrews, it's very familiar. It's notably called the, the Hall of Faith. It's like the Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith, yeah. And it, it's called because there's the, all these you know, supposedly wonderful, and they are, great men who've gone before us and fought the fight of faith. They've suffered, they've endured, and, and they, they put their eyes on the prize. And, and by faith, they were commended. By faith, they ran their race. And, you know, in, in there, you see the author remind the Hebrews of Abraham. He says about Abraham how he patiently endured. He patiently endured. He, he knew that God had made a promise to him. And so he endured through all the struggles he had. And then, then we have Moses who endured. He, the, the face of Pharaoh was so violent, so nasty. And, and he took his eyes off the face, off of Egypt, and put his eyes on the, on the, on the face of Christ on God himself, and he was encouraged forward in his faith by looking to God. And, you know, the Hebrews of this time in Hebrews, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the stories. They knew the struggles. They knew all of these things. They knew the Old Testament well, and he's helping them see you have a context. It's not, it's not just what's going on right around you right now. There has been a story going on for all eternity. God has been doing something in his people, and he has been bringing about something. Look, look at the men of old. Look at what he's done. Consider your context. Consider what he's doing. Consider this cloud of witnesses. These, these people who have gone before you that, have witne- that are witnesses to Christ. Witnesses of the faith we need to, to persevere. I played football at a pretty difficult school called the Citadel. Uh, the Citadel is a military school in Charleston. And, uh, and, you know, it's the only school in America, I think, where the normal students hate the student-athletes, despise them. I've, I've never been more hated. I went from being a stud in high school, so I thought, to being the absolute lowly uh, worm of the earth, according to these people. They hate us because we get out of all the drill and the military stuff that they have to do every day. So they're constantly coming at us with that stuff. And, you know, I, I played football there, and... and it was, a, it was a tough road because having all that happen to you and, and the coaches there, they're constantly running into this struggle. What happens is they have these good players come in and these good players will, will have this one guy in the barracks who hates them and they'll just start get going at them and just, just coming right at them. You stink. You're nothing. You shouldn't be here. You need to quit. And, and, and the Citadel often loses some of their best players like this. They leave. They just absolutely leave. And so what the coaches do, we have this thing during the season called steak night. Every Wednesday night before the Saturday game, they have an old player come in. And that old player comes in and he stands before him and he says, oh, this is, this is what football was like for me. This is what we did. This is what our team did. This is what we accomplished, which is never very much. But <laughs> uh, this is what we've done. And, and you know, the barracks life was tough. It was tough. But I got the ring. I got the band of gold. You see that? This is where it's at. You, you, you endure. You stick it through because that barracks life plus football, it'll make you into a man. It'll make you somebody. You see what they did? It's hard. 
you want to quit. You don't want to go forward. And what they do is they stick the prize in front of you. They stick it right there and they say, look, we've done it. We've been here. We've been right where you are. And if you endure, you'll be somewhere. They show you your context. They show you who's gone before you. They show you where they've been. And they're showing you you can do it. Are you now struggling? Are you walking through hardships like I'm walking through, like my wife and I are walking through? Is that the context you're in? Look around you, and you'll see a pattern in the people of God. You'll see that the the struggles have always been here. And that if you're a Christian, no matter where you are, you're going to face them. You know, I'll, I'll get to more of this in point three, but he says, run the race with endurance. Run, run it with endurance. This word race, and you know, if one of my professors are here, he'd be really mad at me. He said in your first five years out of seminary, which I'm not out of seminary, don't ever say from the Greek. <laughs> he said, I will slap you. <laughs> but uh, here I have to, because it's something that's very important to the text. He said, the, the Greek word for race is agon. Agon. We get our English word agonize, agony. He says, run the race marked out for you. Who, who has an agony marked out for them? Us. You. Me. It will be agony. It will be hard. And it's, it's marked out for you. So you might be asking, you know, how is this encouraging? <laughs> We're struggling. <laughs> and you're saying it's, oh, yeah, that's right. Good point. You're supposed to be. That's right. It's a race marked out for you. And it, it's encouraging because two reasons. One, for expectation's sake. For expectations. One, many of us in the room are in the midst of hardships. And we constantly are asking, why me? Why us? What did we do? God, aren't you supposed to redeem us? First Peter says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says, don't be surprised, as if this strange thing just came out of nowhere and just happens to be happening to you. Don't be surprised. They're coming. If you're his, they're coming. And you know it, you know it. If they're not, if you're not his, they're coming. It's just if you are his, there are resources to face the battle, face the struggle. Secondly, for expectation first, but secondly, in our struggles, we often turn to God and we raise our arm and say, God, I can't believe you're allowing this to happen to me. And you know, we, we probably don't say that out loud. We, some of us do, some of us don't. We probably don't have the honesty with them to say, I can't believe you're letting this happen. But, but we show it with our lives because we stop praying. We stop seeking community. We stop being honest with our community and with our city group and with our friends. And we say, how can he abandon me in our soul? How can he abandon me? How can he let these things happen to me? You know, a few years ago, my brother, he has a son named Ethan. Ethan was four, and he was sitting on their recliner. And he was bouncing up and down real fast, back and forth. And right behind the recliner, there's this old window. It's a, like a 16-foot church window that my, my sister-in-law adores. It has these beautiful glass panes in it, just all these different colors. And it's from an old church from Joanna, South Carolina. And she, she bought it, and uh, she put it in her, in her uh, house, and it's absolutely beautiful. Well, he's bouncing up and down in the chair, and he falls backwards right through the bottom of it, and it slices the back of his head wide open. 
and he's laying in the glass, freaking out. And you can imagine the scene at this point. My brother, he, he describes it like it's slow motion. He said they had to run over there and carefully get his head out of the glass. They had to grab towels, put it around him, grab him, throw him in the car, and, and rush to the emergency room. They took him straight back. And you know, the, the cut's on the back of his head. And so they had to flip him over, and he had to lay right there on the, on the table while they tried to stitch him up. Well, he's going crazy. He's a four-year-old. He doesn't know what's going on. So they had to take a towel and restrain his arms. They wrapped the towel around him, and then he's still just flipping on the table as a four-year-old. So Thomas literally has to lay on top of him. He has to put all of his weight on his legs, on his back, and then take his head and hold it while they took and sutured up the back of his neck. Now, there, there was probably a never a moment in Ethan's life where he felt so unloved by his dad. Never a moment. He, he probably thought, what are they doing to me? I can't believe they would do these things to me. But in order for Thomas to, to love him, to give him exactly what he needed, he had to put all of that weight, all of that pressure on him, even adding to that cut. So maybe you're shaking your fist at God. Why are you letting us do this? Why are you taking us through this? Why, why are we going through this? And just when you raise your fist at him, He says, no, you know, the struggles, you think they're evidence against my love, but they're actually evidence for it. This is my love. This is how I love you. If I didn't bring these things into your life, you wouldn't know you're not courageous. You wouldn't know you didn't have faith. You wouldn't know you don't love your wife well. You wouldn't know these things. And so I'm going to bring these trials, these hardships into your life to bring this stuff out of you because I love you deeply. I am making you beautiful. I am committed to that. That's, what, that's number two. Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is his love. You know, how does this encourage them? You know, he's, he's walking them down this Hebrews 11. And here's where our chapters kind of hurt us sometimes. Remember, this was, the book of Hebrews wasn't written in chapters. It's one long letter. It's one long sermon, actually. And, and the hall of faith doesn't stop at verse 40. Do you know that? The, the writer is taking them. He's taking them down this history of faith all the way to verse 2. And he says, friends, fix your eyes on the ultimate example. Here's, these are case studies of people who've done it, but here is the ultimate example. And not only is he the example, he is the object of your faith. He is what you're going to place your fix, you're going to fix your eyes on. He is where your eyes stay. You're encouraged by these people, but he is where we're going. He is where we fix our eyes. He is where we turn our gaze. This takes us to point two. If we are going to face the difficulties of life, If we are going to be able to withstand the hardships, we have to fix our eyes on the finisher. Fix our eyes on the finish. Looking to Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, is what the verse says. Looking, this word in the Greek, it actually means to look away from at. So it's not just look. It's you're turning your eyes away from something else and looking at him. 
So it means literally look away. Look to Jesus, fixing your eyes on him. So first it says, well, it says two things. It says you can't just fix your eyes on Jesus. It's him revealed a certain way as the founder and perfecter. And I hope you saw it in the liturgy. I hope you saw the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, and where we're running this race to. He's the beginner and the, and the finisher. And the, the first word is, if you have, there's probably four or five translations out there, and you're going to see beginner, pioneer, founder, perf, uh, author, forerunner, trailblazer. A lot of, those are a lot of words used for this first term, beginner. I love trailblazer because it's one who goes ahead. But it's an athletic term, and it's, it's speaking of the person who goes ahead of the pack and finishes first. And, you know, here's some rich irony. Jesus finished first, finished well, is our champion. Therefore, he is our beginner. He is our founder. His finish has led him to the place of where he is our founder. Um, and, and one of the best translations says that he is our champion. He is our champion. And you see that in the song today, our champion. Um, often, instead of going to war in this era, what, what, what nations would do is they would pick a champion. They would pick a champion to fight the battle for them. If you're familiar with David and Goliath, that's an example of it. If you're familiar with the movie Troy, a little more current uh, uh, example here, where you know where they get Achilles to go out and fight for the nation. So instead of all this blood you know, being shed and all these people dying, they let their champion go and fight for them. And then whatever happened to him happened to the nation. So if Achilles goes out there and he dies, that nation loses the battle. If he goes out there and wins, that nation wins the battle. But he is their champion. He is the one who represents them. Um, Jesus is our champion. It's obvious. He is the one who went out for us. He is the one who goes out and fights the battle. And he goes out and gets he obtains victory for us. He wins the battle. Um, and now, by faith, we are united with his victory. That's where, that's where this passage was going. By faith, you struggling Hebrews, you struggling men and women, me, you are united to his victory. He is the ultimate example. He is your beginner. You know, I was at the Y a while back, the YMCA a while back, and I was talking to an Islamic friend about his faith. And he was passionate. And he, he had spent 10 to 15 minutes just railing me about Muhammad and how he founded their faith and how he is the ultimate example. He's the greatest prophet to ever live. On and on and on he went about how wonderful Muhammad was and how I should worship him. And so then I started asking him just some practical questions. Well, how are you doing? What, what's your life like? What's going on with you? His head dropped. He's like, oh, I've abandoned the faith. I... I love Muhammad. I love the faith, but my life is, ever since I got to America, has been horrible. I go to clubs. I have sex with women, and I'm, I'm going to be judged harshly for it. I know that. See, you see the problem? My friend shows us the problem with every other religion and every other way of life. There are all kind of trailblazers out there. There are all kind of people who, who say, this is the way. This is how you go, and they give you a great start. Go ahead, buddy. Get on the road. He's, but Jesus is different. He started, he's the beginner, and he's the finisher. He is the alpha and the omega for us. He started the race, and he finishes it for us. So our fix is on him as the author and the finisher. We, we're not just encouraged to go down a road and left to, to go and do it on our own. We have a finisher. 
the, the text says that he sat down at the right hand of God. This, the book of Hebrews says sat down four times. In this one place, and this is stuff I didn't care about after, before a few months ago, but it's in the perfect tense. In the Greek tense, the perfect tense is awesome. It's, it's rare, but it's amazing. And Ted's used it before. But it means something that happened in the past that has present results. The f- three other times, he, it just uses a past tense. This time, he says, this is for you. This, what happened in the past, has results for you right now. The author and the finisher sat down. What he did has results for you. This is yours. Fix your eyes on this. You know, my favorite place in the, in the story of David and Goliath is actually chap, uh, is verse 52. Verse 50, way down in the, in the, in the verse. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. It's fi- the end of 51 and 52, it says, When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. So the Philistines saw that Goliath fell, and they, they ran. Listen to this, though. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell all the way down to all these places. Do you see what they did? Up till this point, the Israelites were shaken in their boots. They were scared to death. But then they saw victory happen. They saw their champion go out and slay the enemy. And he, he won victory for them. He was their substitution out there, and he won. And you see when they saw that it was finished, that the battle was over, you see what they did? They now fight. They didn't fight and obtain victory. They see the victory happen, and they get out of themselves, and they chase them all the way down. And to the degree, to the degree we see him as the author and the finisher of our faith, we will fight. We will run. We will chase them down. We will run the race. We have to fix our eyes on the finish. And it will lead us to the race. And so now, point three is to commit to the process. It's a call to run. It's a call to run the race. Get in the race. And you know, I've, as I was handling this text, I often confuse these two metaphors. It says run the race. It's two different words. Run and race. The race is this agonizing struggle that has been, it's been put out in front of all of us. But he says run it. He uses an athletic term to say you have to run this agonizing struggle. You have, to, you have to run it. And so what is it saying? It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Authors in the New Testament frequently use the athlete motif. They, they constantly are using this, this uh, athletic or exercise motif to show us how, how to run the race of life because it's very similar. Let's think about this for a second. Uh, when you exercise, like the doctor told me last year, if you don't exercise, if you don't exert yourself, if you don't bring, if, if you don't uh, exercise, you, you won't be fully capable to live your life as fully as you should. Your, your body won't be fully capable to do the things it was created to do. So you must exercise. You must uh, go to the gym, so to speak. Uh, Paul says it here, do, not, do you not know that all runners run in a race, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after I preach to others, I should be disqualified. Paul is saying here, 
I don't run pointlessly. I have an aim for my life. And we, if we fix our eyes on Christ, he's the author and the finisher, now we run. Now we, now we have purpose for our lives. Now we give our lives direction. We don't just beat the air with our lives. We, we run at, at something specific. We, we give ourselves to this race. Uh, Hebrews 12 goes on to say that the discipline in the moment is tough. But after, it yields the, the harvest of righteousness for those who are trained by it. And, and this word discipline, is genes- it means gymnasium. It's the exercise. And, and th- think about it. When, when you go to the gym, what you're doing is you're taking a muscle, you're taking your muscles, and you make the, it hard for them to do their work. When you go on a run, you, 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 uh, you tax your muscles by running a long distance. And, you, and you're putting uh, pressure against yourself. You're making it hard for your body to do these things so that it'll, it'll grow in strength. And that's the beauty of it. Just when you feel like you're getting weak, you're actually getting stronger. That's the beauty of this race. That God says, I'm bringing trials. Consider the context. Fix your eyes. But I'm bringing these trials, this agony into your life. And it's going to create endurance for you if you'll run. If you'll commit to the process. If you'll commit to that, this is the way that I'm making you beautiful. This is the way, I'm, I, the plan that I have for your life. This is how my son did it. And this is how you'll do it. You know, it's funny how much I push back on the trials in my life. I, I constantly am pushing back. And, you know, I see things in my marriage, and I don't, I don't want to deal with them. I don't like to deal with them because it brings conflict. And, and we, we have this conflict going on sometimes. I just I don't want to enter, enter into it. But he says if you're going to commit to the process, these things that are bubbling out in your life, you have to face them. Jennifer and I have had to ask community to come into our marriage and counselors, and this church, and people to go in there and kick these things around. Let's help us see these issues we have, to face life, to run the race, to face the agony. So friends, we're called to face it, to run the race, to not just give up and let life happen. We as City Church are called to face these issues. And so he gives us two things we have to do to face them, to run well. He says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. And quickly, weights. He says, throw off the weights that hinder you. Weights are things in our lives that are not necessarily sin. Things that all of us have. For me, it's staying up late, watching a football game. And, and so then the next morning, I can't get up and spend time with God and love my family well. I have to sleep in to get the sleep I need. And, and I, don't, I don't love them well. It's a weight. It's not sin. For, I'm allowed to do that. But for me, to, to be an athlete that runs the race well, there are things I have to give up. There are things I have to put away to run the race effectively. And for me, that's a weight. I have to set that down. And for you, the weights are different. They can be, it can be Internet, Facebook. It can be uh, toys like an iPad. That's, that's one for me right now. I want an iPad. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> it's a weight. It's something I pursue often that just gets in the way of me running effectively. And number two, it says the sin. The sin which so easily entangles. See, the weights... What they do is they slow you down. They slow you in the race of life. But sin, it trips you up. It takes you out of the race. It can take you out of it if you, if you don't know how to deal with it. And, and the hard part for us is that when we're confronted with sin or when we go to confess sin, rarely are we honest. Rarely do we, do we really say, this is, this is who we really are. This is, this is who I am. 
But you, do you see, guys, if, if, if Jesus is the author and the finisher, we have nothing else to fear. If he finished the race and sat down and is bringing in the kingdom, we don't have to fear anything. We can be honest about who we are and say, this is me. Here's my dirty laundry. Here's the struggles in my marriage. This is how I parent my child. Help. We can be honest because we have an author, a beginner, and a finisher. And so sin, you know sin. Your community has to help you see it. We have to help each other get in there and see what's entangling us, what's keeping us from the race. Finally, here's the ring. See it? The band of gold. Often when we were suffering through, a senior would come up to me and stick it in my face. He said, Boland, this is why you're enduring. This is it right here. And every time, I'm going to be honest, it worked. (laughs) I wasn't a Christian and it worked. For me, I was like, that's it. I'm not a children's home kid anymore. I'm not a kid who's been abused. I need that ring. And it, it gave me strength. It, it, I endured the Citadel. I went through those hard things. I only played two years of football. My last two years, I was in the core, and I endured through that stuff to get this thing. And, you know, I, I find it interesting at how much I endure for these kinds of things, how much I endure for my kids and, and my wife and these different things, and how little I endure for the gospel, how little in comparison I endure for, for Christ. The verse says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down. Do you know who his joy is? The joy set before him was Revelations 21. The joy was that when all of us are united with him at the fulfillment of all things, where we're in perfect union with him, where there will be no more of these struggles, no more of these hardships, where every tear is dried up and we have everlasting joy with him. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You are his joy. You are his joy. Because you were the joy set before him, we can now endure the race set before us. We can endure the agony because we are his joy. Friends, you are his joy. You are loved. Pray with me. God, thank you that you, you left heaven and you came here on earth and you fixed your eyes on your joy and that you endured sin and death and horror and the abandonment of your father so that we could be with you forever. I pray, God, that you would empower us as your church to endure this agonizing race. And God, that you would, you would show us what it means for us to fix our eyes on you. And, and would, you, would you help us see that you're our author and perfecter, that you started and finished this for us, and that, you would free, that we would now freely run from here, living fully for you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.